You're listening to. Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today for our September 2022 mid-month book news episode. We've had a jam-packed month of episodes this week with a ton of author interviews. So um, this is coming to you probably a week later than we wanted to, but that's mainly because I forgot that we need to do this this month. Also, I was gone for a week, so (laughs) time does not really work out in our favor when it comes to compiling news for us. But it's good. We're doing it. We're we're fulfilling our um, personal, I guess, covenant to each other to do this once a month. Um, And there's still a ton of really cool book deals coming through the pipe. And we're excited to um, share that with all of you, as well as some news, um, some good news and some bummer news. But uh We'll get there when we get there. But yeah, let's get started as we always do with the latest Asian and Asian American book publishing news. Um, Rira, tell us what our first deal is. Okay, so our first deal is Fawel and Friends acquire Judy I. Lin's Song of the Six Realms. Uh, Judy I. Lin is the author of A Magic Steeped in Poison. In this dark gothic YA fantasy pitched as Chinese mythology meets Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca, a young scholar buys the remaining years on an orphan girl's contract to play as his personal musician at his rural manor. But she's in for more than she bargained for when her new master is not human and his home is in the celestial realm. Publication is slated for early 2024. Nice. This must be the book that Judy was talking about to us about in her interview with us that's true the interview that we have not published yet that you will hear probably in two yeah. weeks um but yeah no we talked to judy island about her um latest novels um a magic steep in poison and its sequel uh venom dark and sweet and yeah this sounds like this sounds like a good mix of both of our interests we have the chinese mythology and we also have the, the music story. Um, I'm not familiar uh, I was, with... I, I was going to say, like, Rebecca is, like, yeah. one of my favorite books ever. So uh, oh, yeah. that is very exciting. Uh, have you seen the Netflix adaptation of Rebecca? I don't think it's that good. However, it it gets the job done. I have no idea what Rebecca is. So can you give me a quick okay. synopsis? So a quick synopsis. Rebecca is about this lady's maid who is on holiday with her boss. And she runs into this wealthy single bachelor. And uh, everyone is telling her that he's grieving because his first wife died tragically. And um, pretty much they fall in love and uh, they get married. I'm, I'm like really glossing things over, by the way. They get married and they, after their honeymoon, they go back to estate. And at his estate, Manderly, she is constantly reminded of his first wife's presence. Like everyone's saying, wow, she was like such an amazing person. She threw these amazing parties. She was so elegant. But every time when she tries to bring Rebecca up to her husband, he gets really angry and... Pretty much, like, things start to, like, 
not make sense with um, her death and her life. And slowly, like, the wife is getting sucked into uh, this mythos around Rebecca. So it is, like, it is truly, like, a gothic, like, spooky read. Okay. And I absolutely love it. And in, like, the halfway point, like, the twists are just so great. (laughs) Yeah, we've read a couple books that, you know, take place in and around the Chinese mythical realms. Um, yeah, and excited to see Judy's take on it. Um, she did such a great job with the Book of Tea series and interested to see where this goes. All right, next up, Harper Via acquired world English rights to C.K. Chow's Good Fortune. This reimagining of Pride and Prejudice is set in New York City's Chinatown in the early 2000s and follows a young woman whose fight against her neighborhood's gentrification sets tension ablaze in her familial and romantic life. Publication is set for summer 2023. Another reason for uh, Marvin to finally read Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Is it because I have all these adaptations and reimaginings? No, it's not from? the same. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's not the same. You, We are on a book club podcast and you're saying, oh, but I could just watch the movie. How fucking dare you? Uh, <laughs> I never said the movie. If I was going to watch one, I would watch the BBC series because apparently that's the superior version according to my fiance. Uh, it depends. (laughs) I say this as someone who has watched the BBC series, like, at least two, three times every other month as, like, my comfort movie, a comfort series. But anyway, I digress. Uh, This sounds really great. Uh, I love stories about, uh, you know, fighting against gentrification because, yes, eat the rich and uh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, (laughs) it's, like, really funny because everybody is pretty much in the upper class in that book <laughs> even even the bennets ev- even though they are considered part of the gentry class they they are albeit um lower on that um that income bracket they're still aristocrats so i'm like hmm yeah I, it's interesting for me because like new york new york city's chinatown obviously there has been some gentrification but i feel like it is still pretty much chinatown like, I feel like a lot of residents still live there. I feel like a lot of the businesses are still there. <laughs> However, I, I feel like the ones who are not doing so well in business have definitely have been left behind. It's a constant struggle, right? I still yeah, hear, it, it really is. I still hear a lot from my friends where developers are always chomping on the bit to go into Chinatown and they've been making strides. So the threat's not gone. Gentrification is still always like looming in, especially in New York City, right? Yeah, especially if this is Manhattan's Chinatown and not, like, Chinatown in Flushing. Yeah. All right, next up. In a three-book deal and preempt, Oni Press bought Lysandra Wong's queer YA graphic novel series Covenant, which is based on the webcomic of the same name. In the story, Ezra, a powerful exorcist who belongs to an elite organization under scrutiny for its unorthodox practices, is tasked to protect a seemingly normal human from Rising Demonic Forces. Desiree Rodriguez is attached to edit, and publication of the first book is planned for spring 2025. Yeah, um, I haven't read this webcomic, but uh, I think it's really cool that there's another venue, because we've talked to webcomic artists before on this podcast, and it does seem like it's a very, like, it's cool that they're able to do art as for a living, but it's also a very, much like any kind of art, a very demanding job that requires you to constantly be um, be creating. And the fact that you can also get book deals from that art, that's cool. Yeah, and 
I really f- like the fact that these webtoons are finding a more permanent ho- home because I do read webtoons and there are some series where I'm like, I would buy like a print edition of that just so that, you know, I have a permanent record of it in my house. So um, I'm definitely seeing that become more of a trend with publishers, which is great. And also the story sounds cool because I love stories about like, I don't know, like a powerful exorcist who belongs to an elite organization. It kind of reminds me of Witch Hunter Robin, which was like (laughs) a very, very old anime series. And I'm like, yeah, I just really love that type of setting, love that type of story. Um, So I am excited to read it. Plus it's queer. So I'm like all for it. Yeah. All right. Next up, Little Brown acquired world rights at auction to Regina Linke's debut picture book, which is based on her webcomic, The Oxherd Boy. The book is called Big Enough, and it's the story about the day the Oxherd Boy learns to trust his intuition and accomplish the fearful task of bringing home the gigantic family ox. The gigantic family ox for the first time. Publication is scheduled for winter 2025. Like we said, another webcomic. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) This time for kids. Yes, yes. Oxherd boy. That sounds really cute. Yeah. It's I, I imagine it's like a shepherd, but instead of sheep, it's ox, right? I know language. I know how to how to extrapolate meaning from language. Wow, look at us uh <laughs> being thirty something year olds able to dissect language. Reading comprehension okay. is a skill. <laughs> Reading comprehension is a life skill. Okay. <laughs> Next up, in a six-way auction, Crown acquired My Father, the Panda Killer by debut YA author Jamie Jo Huang. Told in dual timelines of 1975 and 1999, teens Phuc and Jane explore how the Vietnam Vietnam War disrupted their past, is inescapable in their present, and shadows their hopes for the future. Publication is scheduled for fall 2023. That's a pretty dark title panda killer it's like how (laughs) it's very shocking and not i'm not expecting some sort of panda death in this book which already makes it sad not including the whole vietnam war generational trauma aspect of it as well but um i think it's cool that this is a ya story um touching on these dark themes that real people deal with yeah and like the theme of how this war is inescapable in their present Obviously, like we have read a lot of books about the Vietnam War and uh, the second, third gens, and we've talked about intergenerational trauma as like a big theme. Yeah, and it's nice that we're seeing this uh, shown in literature intended for younger audiences. So, yeah, yeah. All right, our next deal: Holiday House imprint Neil Porter Books acquired Toto, a picture book by Hei Wan Yum, um, the author of Luli and the Language of Tea. The picture book is about a girl with a facial birthmark that she nicknames Toto, but worries that her classmates will only see Toto and little else. Publication is planned for summer 2024. Oh, so I'm guessing that the birthmark is like on her face or somewhere like very visible. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who has a birthmark right above her on her brow. And um, I mean, it's not super noticeable, but then you know how kids suck. Yeah, you know how kids are. Yeah. (laughs) They're, well, it's it's nice to have a book that says, "Hey, yeah, stop that. Don't be rude. Don't yeah, be <laughs> don't be mean." <laughs> All right. Next up, Athenium acquired at auction a suffragist guide to the Antarctic, a YA historical novel by Thurber Prize semifinalist Yishun Lai. 
Pitched as a lady's guide to petticoats and piracy meets Ernest Shackleton, the book follows Clara, who lies about her age and her citizenship, to land a covetous spot on an Antarctic expedition with an eccentric British expedition leader. But when the crew is marooned on an ice floe, Clara's self-propelled mission to advance the women's suffrage movement takes a backseat to survival. Publication is set for spring 2024. Man, that sounds harrowing. It's also like it's also a great title, by the way, A Suffragist Guide to the Antarctic. Yeah. Although I don't know how I feel about someone putting aside her. I mean, I guess survival takes precedence over freeing your your gender from oppression. But I don't know about like setting that aside. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much. I, it that. sounds cool <laughs> though, with like the Antarctic expedition. Yeah. Like uh, but it sounds really cool and fun. I mean, cool because Antarctic. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. And fun because survival. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I would not volunteer to be on like an exploring like journey, you know, an expedition. Well, you and I are both not outdoor people. Like we don't. Well, that too. But it's just <laughs> like even as a kid, I watched a lot of documentaries and like read a lot of books about about like explorers getting marooned or dying or their teammates dying mm. or getting their limbs amputated. And I'm like, does yeah. not sound like a happy time. All right. Well, congrats to Yishun Lai. Um, next up, in an exclusive submission, Disney's Rick Riordan Presents acquired The Spirit Mirror by Roshani Chakshi, author of the Arusha and the End of Time series. Uh, pitched in the vein of the graveyard book with Filipino mythology, this middle grade novel is about an orphan girl who is descended from Babylons, uh, mystical healers and spirit guides, and who, upon her eleventh birthday, must learn to harness her powers in order to bring her ghost, in order to bring her ghost parents back to life. Publication is scheduled for fall twenty twenty three. So yeah, I guess like a supernatural um, coming of age story. Um, maybe some like Filipino. Maybe some like Filipino um, flavored gothic vibes because of the ghost parents. It sounds interesting. Um, it definitely sounds like it's on Rashani's. Uh, it's like Rashani's brand because <laughs> aside from the Arusha and the End of Time series, uh, she's written the Star Touched Queen and uh, the Gilded Wolves. And I would say like those books are pretty gothic as well, <laughs> with like supernatural spookiness. So yeah, yeah it sounds like. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun to read. And of course, like kids learning to master their powers and save their parents. Classic. Classic. Love it. <laughs> Classic. Which is probably why it's under the Disney Rick Riordan um, uh, brand, because it just fits into that classic adventure. Yeah, he's the he's the Percy Jackson dude, right? Yes. Yeah. He seems cool for now. Uh. So- <laughs> Speaking of Rick Reardon, uh, that is also our uh, next book deals publisher. In the preempt, Rick Reardon presents acquired Sajni Patel's debut YA fantasy, A Drop of Venom. This feminist reimagining of Medusa's origins, inspired by Indian lore, follows a young serpent queen's rise to power and the slayer sent to kill her, questioning what it truly means to be a monster. Publication is scheduled for spring 2024. Yeah. This is cool. Um, you know, the original story, if you like do a feminist reading of it, is pretty like misogynistic and patriarchal, right? I mean, look at Greek mythologies in general. It is <laughs> all 
patriarchal, and usually women get the very low, uh, get the low deal, get the short end of st- stick. So, so yeah, I'm interested to see um, this take on it. Um, I think definitely, you know, recontextualizing our myths and our preconceived notions of, you know, like what a monster is, is really, really speaks to us as people who are essentially still othered in their culture and could very easily become you know, the monster, right? So yeah, there's a lot of deep themes that can be mined from this type of reading and this type of reimagining. So um, looking forward to uh, looking forward to Sanjini Patel's um, debut. All right, next up, uh, Random House Studio bought in an exclusive submission World Rights to Helena Curie's The No Shoes Home. Illustrated by Mil Yim, the picture book is about a girl named Mina and her family's tradition of always taking their shoes off when they enter the house. Publication is slated for summer 2025. Oh, we finally have a book that explains to like not wear your shoes in an Asian home to young kids. <laughs> I still, yeah, I... It's not as much an issue here, like where we live, because I think mo- most people here have interactions with Asians, so they're not as like, you know, weird about it. But people got weird about it when I was on the East Coast, for sure. I feel like a lot of non-Asians I know also take off their shoes at their porch or like in their threshold because they just like they don't want to clean all the time. So it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you know people have indoor shoes or, you know, slippers they wear. Like some Asians have indoor slippers too. I feel like it seems like to me as common sense, like you don't want to drag literal dirt from outside into your home. Uh, but And also... Uh, but then, you know, what I found is like the people who don't do it care a lot that you want them to do it. Um, I don't think it's really like a a cultural thing as much as like a, a personality thing, to be honest. Uh, I mean, like when I was living in the dorms, uh, like we wore our shoes in the common area. But then when it got to like our bedroom, I always took my shoes off before I went in. Yeah. So some people thought that was weird because it's just like you're already wearing your shoes inside your house. So why are you taking your shoes off like outside your bedroom? And I'm like, because I'm going to be in my bedroom. I'm going to be <laughs> I'm yeah. going to be on my bed. I'm going to be walking around like I want the floor to be a little bit more pristine in the place that I sleep. <laughs> Also, I just don't like being in my shoes all day. My feet get sweaty and they need to breathe. And, you know. Maybe you're wearing the wrong shoes. I mean, do you want to be in socks all the time? Like, Okay. <laughs> wait, do you keep your socks on indoors? I mean, a lot of the times, but I, I don't really have mm. any any issues with like keeping my socks on. I actually prefer keeping my socks on when I'm at other people's houses. Well, yeah. Because... It's like, I don't know if they have slippers or not, so. Well, yeah, I mean, I keep my socks on there. It's, it's more like when I'm home, I, it's more the shoes thing. It's just like, you know, it's like wearing sweaters on your feet. You're also talking to someone who wears fuzzy socks for, for comfort. Because <laughs> it feels nice. Okay. Anyway, all right. Next up, Little Brown Bot World Rights to I Drew a Heart by poet and author Jillian Su. Uh, the author of You Are My Favorite Color, and it is about a Chinese-American boy who goes about his day drawing hearts and learning a little bit about himself and about love along the way. And the book will be illustrated by Naoko Stoop. Publication is scheduled for fall 2023. That sounds cute. 
I'm just when like drawing hearts. So hopefully this is like on paper and not just like on on like walls and random things. Hey, I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting little public art out in the streets. Yeah. I mean, legally it's a gray area, but I mean, it's not a lot to go on. But I am interested in learning what he learns about himself and what he does love about himself along the way because self-love is a very important message and uh, kids need to learn it very early on. Yeah. All right. Next up, Quilt Tree Books acquired at auction World Rights to Perfect. Written by Waka T. Brown and illustrated by Yuko Jones, this picture book follows a girl who wants all things to be perfect until her grandmother teaches her about the Japanese art of kintsugi, a broken pottery mending technique. And she learns to value life's imperfections. Publication is planned for fall 2024. Yeah, Kintsugi is the, uh, what is it? You like pour gold into the cracks so that like when you glue it together, you have like all of these like shiny bits. That's like, that looks like veins. Mm. I, I always thought that it looked really cool. And it's really nice that there is a book that's teaching <laughs> teaching young kids like you don't have to be perfect all the time that's definitely a message that i did not get growing up as an immigrant <laughs> kid so it's nice that there is an opposite message for it yeah i mean there's it's another step for um again like developing healthy self-esteem in, in young children to not put the pressure of being the perfect extensions of their parents all the time right well, it's not even about like being the perfect extension of their parents. It's just with social media and the way people post, it's like everybody needs to have a perfect post and everybody needs to look like they're having fun and they're beautiful every single moment of their life. So it's really nice to have a picture book that says, hey, like it's okay to not be perfect. There is beauty in imperfection. I think it's a very important message for kids to have. And I'm I can't wait to see the illustrations as well because uh, kintsugi is a very beautiful uh, type of art form. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Next up, Barefoot Books acquired world rights to Ganesha Goes Green, written by debut author Lakshmi Tamizmani and illustrated by Devasmita Dasgupta. In a village in southern India, a girl rallies her friends to help save the river from pollution during the annual Ganesha. Chaturthi Festival. Publication is slated for fall 2023. Yeah, sounds fun. Um, you know, you, you can't, we can't have a Books and Mobile mid-month review without at least one Asian holiday picture book. And this is one that we haven't seen before. Um, the Ganesha Chaturthi Festival. Um, I am not good at pronouncing Indian words, so apologies if, if I butchered that. But not only is it about the festival, but also has a green message as well. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Ganesha, isn't that a Hindu? Yeah, they're the um, the elephant one, the one the one with the elephant head. Okay, so th- yeah, that makes sense because in Hinduism they have a lot of uh, sacred holidays and rituals by the river, so it would make sense that the river has like a lot of importance. And I like the fact that it is a green message <laughs> that you should, you know, clean up trash. <laughs> yeah, uh, pollution is bad. We should stop doing it. Um, next up, Lee and Low Books acquired world rights to A Sky That Sings, a picture book written by Anita Sanchez and George Steele, and illustrated by Emily Mendoza. The story follows a visually impaired girl who enjoys bird listening instead of bird watching with her Tia. Uh, publication is planned for spring 2024. 
that's cool. I mean, it's nice that we're seeing more, um, like more disabled characters as protagonists, and you know, normalizing their conditions for um, for other readers. So yeah, sounds really cute. Definitely sounds cute. Also, like bird listening sounds like something that anyone can do because bird watching. It's like I I have very bad like hearing like directional hearing. So I wouldn't be able to like track where the bird is, depending on how it's singing. So I'll be like, I don't like I can hear it, but I can't see it. I don't know which direction it's coming from. So, um, yeah, I feel like bird listening is actually way more easier, chill for sure. <laughs> way more chill than bird watching, because then you don't have to worry about being like, oh man, I missed it. This is the this is a bird that you only see in this specific month of this season in this location. Ah, it sounds really stressful. So I don't know. Maybe the bird watchers in this podcast are are being like, you have you've never tried it, so don't you know, don't don't strike against it. I mean, also again, we're not outdoor people, so that's true. We are not <laughs> outdoor people. Um, okay, next up. Candlewick Press bought Good Night Zodiac Animals by author illustrator Jiemei Lin, a board book about the Chinese zodiac animals going to bed. Publication is slated for fall 2024. That's cute. It sounds so cute, and it's <laughs> I can I can picture so many Asian families picking up this book and reading it to their kids. Yeah, um, I still remember having to memorize all twelve zodiac animals as a kid. Um, so this is probably a much uh, more fun way to do it. I watched a bunch of series that um, went into like Zodiac lore. Like mm. Fruit Basket is one. And then the other one was like <laughs> some Cor- some Korean cartoon show where it also had a cat in it. But I actually um, had a yeah. I had a it wasn't a storybook, but it was like an audio book uh, of the original myth where they would like act out the different animals. It was pretty fun. It was a little harrowing to learn that uh, my Zodiac sign, the um, the mouse, um, won by cheating. But, you know, we do what we got to do to survive. I know that, uh, what is it? it? For Korean parents, they don't want a daughter who is born in the year of the horse. And I'm, a, I'm born in the year of the horse because they are worried that the girl will be too independent and stubborn to find a mate. <laughs> and... Um, what is it? Like, I'm born in the year of the horse, and I'm also born in the hour of the horse. So my parents oh. were like, I'm like, oh, snap. It's like, yeah. This girl is not going to listen to us at all. <laughs> it's funny because they, they'll say, like, they're not superstitious, but they're totally superstitious. And they, they're always just like, oh, you're like this because of your zodiac slash astrology sign. And, like, my mom follows, like, the horse, the daily horoscopes from, like, the zodiac signs. And oh. like, this is what you should do today. And I'm like, for someone who's saying they're not superstitious, you're real superstitious about about the stuff. I mean, I barely know what like rising symbols are. Oh no, I'm talking about like and Asian like, horoscope oh. though. <laughs> like you know, your elemental oh, and like yeah. Yeah, I'll, I, I just know the basics. Um, I'm still on my on my campaign that it's not the year of the rat; it's the year of the mouse because it's the same word, and mice are way more cute than rats. I mean, it's the same thing with like sheep, right? People think that it's the ram, and I'm like, <laughs> no, it's it's the sheep. Um, but Is it yeah, they the also do. Like- they also do. They also do like matchmaking with zodiac animals. They'll tell you like, oh, if your partner is this uh, zodiac animal, you should not 
date them. And this, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I was I, like, really? Do you, do you, because like I went to school with people born in the same year as me. And let me tell you, all of us are not the same. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a friend who was born literally six days after me. And I'm like, we, are polar opposites it like if you look at our horoscopes we're supposed to be the same but we're not so i think really it's just, don't believe in you know it. it's just easier to categorize and like generalize a population by assigning you know stereotypes based on arbitrary things like when you were born so i don't know i mean Rira and i obviously are non-believers in this stuff um but i mean it's fun i'll admit it <laughs> I like look. I like looking at the horoscopes and being like, "Okay, well, it's telling me to do my chores today. I guess yeah. I will." Yeah, I mean, it's, just take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> it's it's a fun thing. You shouldn't make it like, you know, you shouldn't let it dictate your entire life because that's how you join a cult, and that's how you buy almanacs from the bookstore every <laughs> year. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think we just pissed off all of our spiritual listeners. It's fine. <laughs> They know who we are. Like, they know what type of people we are. <laughs> All right. Our next book deal. Uh, Red Comet Press acquired world rights to Postcards from Malcolm X, How Yuri Kochiyama Became a Civil Rights Activist, written by Mia Wenjen and illustrated by Keith Henry Brown. The biographical picture book focuses on Kochiyama's life and her friendship with Black Power leader Malcolm X. It's slated for release on 2024. Yay! This is Yuri pretty Koshiyama, cool. So won- badass. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how deep it'll go with the whole, um, like, what Yuri and Malcolm were fighting against, or is it going to be more about like how she was a leader and how she was, you know, um, had solidarity with the black community? Um, there's so many things that you can go into, um, and I can't imagine this book not getting banned right away <laughs> when it comes. Oh out. yeah. 100 percent i mean it's called postcards from malcolm x so i'm guessing that a lot of the art is going to be postcard ish with like uh like letter design and whatnot and i think that would look really good yeah and and, you know yuri kuchiyama is such an iconic person and so glad to see more people um having the opportunity to learn about her hopefully in you know school districts that don't suck yeah i mean like i didn't know about yuri kuchiyama until well into my adulthood like well into my early 20s. And that's only because I was part of the Asian American community once I moved to California. So imagine if I (laughs) had not done that, I would still not know who Yuri Kochiyama was. So yeah, yeah, it's nice to have like more more books that dive into these subjects, Um, especially as more books are getting banned in schools. And we'll talk about that shortly. All right, so our last book deal is Chronicle Bought World Rights to Together on Eid, written by Sana Rafi and illustrated by Miriam Koraishi. This celebration of family and cultural tradition celebrates all the best parts about Eid al-Fitr, from dressing up to the feast to the most important of all, being together. Publication is set for fall 2024. Again, more books on Asian yeah. holidays. Wrapping it up with an Asian holiday book. Um I think Eid is something that I didn't know about until I, <laughs> like, this sounds bad, but, like, made Muslim friends um, as an adult. And, yeah, I think it's cool that, you know, as always, as with all Asian holiday books, it's cool that we're having such diversity in children's literature. So we have books for every occasion, right? Because because before it was just Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and um, 
And I guess Easter. I guess Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving. St. Patrick's Day. I guess we. I, I remember <laughs> learning about the snakes. I don't remember this, and I went to a Catholic school, and we did <laughs> celebrate St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, there's. I guess. I guess there's Chinese New Year, Chinese Lunar New Year, that's, or whatever. But, but that's only if you have someone in your class who you know celebrated that. I guess Hanukkah oh, too. Speaking, <clears throat> yeah, Hanukkah too. Yeah. Speaking of Chinese Lunar New Year, I mean, it's not Lunar New Year, but it was the mid-autumn uh, festival. Oh yeah, like a couple weeks ago. So yeah. just want to say happy fall, everyone. Happy mid-autumn. Happy Chuseok. I just want to share that I had my first. Uh, like Chinese mooncake ever this past mid-autumn festival. Oh, yeah? Because I've never had mooncake before. Oh, there's different... I, ha- I had two different types. I had one that was actually like filled with meat and then I had the traditional one where with like the, the egg and custard. I've never had a meat one before. So you've tried something I haven't tried. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I told my friends, I was like, I've never had mooncake before. There's like, also the different... Co- t- it's like, what do the Koreans eat? And I'm like, not that... <laughs> There's also different sorts of pastries too. There's like a shortbready type. There's more of a flaky one, um, and there's like a traditional kind of like baked one. Um, I think there's like a mochi one too, or mochi style. But one. I was surprised at how big they were. Yeah, was, they're jam packed really with big. sugar and calories, so you know, don't eat too much of that. We're too old for that. <laughs> if we were I mean, kids, the meat maybe. one was nice because it was like it was like a nice appetizer. You yeah. know? Yeah. But anyway, that is a wrap on our book deals. We're going to jump into book news now. Yeah, we have two big stories. Um, let's start with let's start with the bummer one. Um, tell me about it's not it's Band not book it's Week. not bummer. I wouldn't consider it to be bummer. I consider it to be very educational, <laughs> informative. Um, but. If you are following on book Twitter or if you're part of the literary community, you will know that this week is Banned Book Week. Started from the 18th and it's going to go on till the end of this week. And um, in light of Banned Book Week, PEN America recently released an updated report on book bans. And this includes titles that were banned from July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022. <clears throat> and they also uh, released a Google Excel sheet of all the banned books uh, that are either pending or already banned from library and classrooms across the country. And you can search uh, banned books by title or the author's name. I looked through them and I was like, damn, there are some books in here where I'm like, why Why are they in here? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that they are that explicit but of course it's not about explicit content it's about content that parents and uh, administrators and uh, politicians would just not want our kids to I guess learn how to empathize to be fair I think it's just the parents who hate having their kids we'll talk about the parents by the way (laughs) and then then the administrators and politicians are too spineless to stand up to them All right. so in this new report Right. So 2,532 individual books have been banned between July 2021 and June 2022. And of these titles, there are 1,648 unique titles. 
Can you freaking believe this? <laughs> That's over half of of like the the books that were banned this past year. New titles. Like that that's insane. All right, so Penn America estimates that approximately 4 million students and over 5,000 different schools across 32 states are impacted by these book bans. 41% of banned books or 659 titles in this report explicitly addresses LGBTQIA themes or have protagonists or primary secondary characters who are LGBTQIA. 145 titles or 9% of this subset are books that feature transgender characters. Wow, we're doing fantastic here. Yeah, and if you think about that, like in terms of total population, like these are probably like a lot of the books with these themes that have been released are probably on this list. So it's not like there's a lot of them to begin with in the publishing industry. So it literally feels like they pulled out all the ones that are in circulation right now. Um, 145 titles on transgender characters. That's that's a lot of titles. Yeah. Um, considering that you know you don't really see them. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised much. if they're were 145 titles released in the last year with in the last year right? <laughs> uh, 40% of banned books uh, in this report uh, or 338 titles contain protagonists or primary secondary characters who are BIPOC so literally <laughs> half, almost half of the bo- books that have been banned are are, are are featuring books, uh, featuring characters of color. Yeah, and again, Asian, if you take, black, Latinx, like literally, like anyone who is not white. Yeah, and again, if you take like a statistician's approach to this, like I'm pretty sure forty percent of all books published in total do not feature BIPOC characters. So, like in terms and, like, of, think like, about the 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 intersections too. This is also like including books who that have like. BIPOC characters who also might be queer as well. So it's like that sub subgroup is also being heavily targeted. It's it's nuts. Yeah. And 22% or 357 banned books in this report directly address issues of race and racism. That's a high percentage. 22%. Well, 357 books. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, seeing that most books that feature BIPOC characters address racism in some way or another. Like, I'm pretty sure like almost 100% of the books that we've read have addressed some form of racism or microaggressions. Yeah. Um, okay. So in terms of demographics, nearly half of these banned books are for young adults. Nine, 19% of these banned books are picture books. 11% are middle grade and 10% are chapter books or juvenile books. Mm. Um, and this is the part that gets me really angry. So Pen America reports that there are at least 50 groups working to get books banned in schools and public libraries across the country. Of those 50 groups, eight operate regional or local chapters numbering over 300. And one of the most prominent of these groups is Moms for Liberty, which was formed last year in 2021 and now has over 200 chapters across America. 
and about 20% of book bans in the last year are directly related to the efforts of these groups, especially Moms for Liberty. An additional 10% of these book bans were likely influenced by these groups given how they mirror their language and the use of local book banning groups. I'm so mad. (laughs) So these are the groups probably that grew in the wake of the whole like critical race theory like outrage, Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah, 2021, that was when like that ginormous list from that Texas uh, governor was like, we need to ban all of these books. And people are like, you know what? You're right. We should get rid of all these CRT books, even though they don't know what CRT means. I remember Kelly Yang's um, like front desk was part of that list, right? And that's like... Oh, it's still part of that list. I checked the I checked the Excel sheet. Yeah, her book is super banned in classrooms. It's not even an inflammatory book. It's not like, you know, fuck all white people. It's like, hey, check out the, this immigrant family, what they do to survive. Well, parents are saying, I don't want my kids to feel bad for being white. I don't want them to feel guilt for having privilege. Or they're saying, oh, I don't want, I don't like the fact that schools are cultivating them to be leftists. And I'm like, what? How about just <laughs> like, cultivating them to be, you know, being decent empathetic people human to being. Their yeah, human beings. friends and, you know, people that they're going to eventually work with? Because likely or not, this country is becoming more and more diverse. It's just really sad because a lot of librarians who are severely underpaid, by the way, they are just being harassed by these groups. Like, just the other week, I remember reading a story about a gunman, like, following slash chasing after a librarian because they refused to take down the books that they had uh, requested. And it's it's just nuts because people are saying, like, I don't want my kids to read these books. This is part of our right. To, to say so but i'm like what about the parents who are of color of who are like muslim who are jewish like these kids and their parents they deserve to be seen in literature and you know to like also like one of the books that got banned this year by the way was when the emperor was divine by julie otska and that was when that would that had to do with like Japanese internment and a Wisconsin school district said, yeah, we're banning this book because it teaches uh, it, it like leans. Uh, it tells the story of World War Two too much from the Japanese perspective. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, they don't see Japanese Americans as Americans, much like the country did not see them as Americans. So. It's like, if you're not going to teach this subject in textbooks, you have to have supplemental reading so that kids know their history. There are already stories about kids going to the Japanese American Internment Museum and saying, oh, this can't be real uh, because then we would have learned about this in school. Fake news. This is actually something that happens in real life. And it like really pisses me off that um, that educators are allowing this to happen. It's yeah. really heartbreaking. And, you know, like, Ban Book Week, I know a lot of people who promote it on social media, they were like, oh, yeah, like, these are the list of banned books that you should read for this uh, for this week or this month. And they're usually, like, really popular books <laughs> that really don't 
like buying those copies, yes, they help, but also like they have sold so many copies. And it really doesn't help with the um with the mission of banned books. So I implore listeners, instead of just buying uh, whatever is on the banned books display, I, I say like use that money to go into like Pen America or any other like literary organizations that will help like get um, elected officials to pay attention <laughs> to to some of the um, the book banning that's been happening. Um, if your parents, please go to school board meetings, uh, pay attention to elections. Really see, like, who is, um, if there's, like, a local chapter of uh, Moms for Liberty or some kind of, like, book banning group on Facebook, like, pay attention and see who's on, who's in those groups and how they affect your school. Because there are some powerful people and um, just buying books ain't going to cut it this time around, especially this year. Because just looking at the data... From the change from 2021 to 2022, it is really frightening. And I'm not even a parent, so I can't imagine how scary it is for um, BIPOC parents right now, queer parents right now. It's a, it's a terrifying time. However, I have faith in us. <laughs> yeah. I have faith in the people who... Um, who love literature and who are, and I have faith in our librarians and our teachers, but they really need help right now. So, yeah, it's wild because, you no, know, we live in California. Um, I grew up here and, you know, we're pretty, I want to say liberal in our, in our education system. We read a lot of books that are banned in other places around the country. And, you know, it wasn't until I moved out of like this bubble that we live in where I met people who were like, yeah, like, Never learned about internment, never learned about people who learned about like the Civil War differently, right? From like the Southern perspective, I guess. Um, it's just wild how different our education systems can be depending on where you live and where you grew up. And, you know, not to say that everyone needs to be the same, but I think providing kids with the most perspective, like we say this all the time when we cover picture books that, you know, highlight different cultures and different celebrations it's like it's important for all of us not just kids of color not just the white kids but especially the white kids to you know have exposure to differences in culture because these are the people that we have to work with someday right and i don't want to deal with more like narrow-minded people yeah context is very (laughs) very important you know like it's important for kids and really frankly other adults to realize that they are not the center of the universe (laughs) and that their way is not the only way (laughs) i'm just thinking about like how um like even if the school there there have been like pushes from parents and uh groups saying like oh teachers shouldn't even lend out books that have been banned like they can't even have them in their classroom library and i think that's a little bit alarming too because for me like a lot of the quote-unquote crt books that i read growing up uh, they were through my teachers my teachers knew that i um read really fast and when i would finish like a class like a mandatory class classroom um 
mandatory like book for our curriculum, they would offer me an alternative. They'll be like, hey, you already finished the book and you already did all the assignments. You want to you want to read this book? And this is how I read like Night and Farewell to Manzanar. Like those are books that are banned in schools right now and have been. So it's it's like they're closing down all of the alternative routes that kids can even get their hands on these books. That's wild because Fa- Farewell to Manzanar was required required reading for us. I know, right? That's what I heard. Um, and also it's really sad because libraries are considered like such safe spaces for people. And to have that space removed by adults is just, I don't know, it's its a little bit sickening. Um, like, you don't need to have an adult sign up for you to get a library card at your school. A lot of kids get their reading materials at school, and it's not being monitored by their parents. So they're able to, like, read, like, Harry po- I mean, not Harry Potter, let's not mention that book. But they're able to read like Percy Jackson and maybe like series that her, their parents might not approve of. And they can do that at school because they don't have like helicopter parents looking after them. But yeah, it's a little sad. All right. So our final piece of news is that the National Book Award 2022 longlist nominees were announced and the finalists will be announced on Tuesday, October 4th. But we do have some authors of Asian descent on the long list and we're just going to be going over uh, the titles and briefly what they're about. Uh, and this is from the National Book Award website. So for... Best Fiction, we have When We Were Sisters by Fatima Askar. Uh, The debut novel explores the interior lives of three orphaned Muslim American girls who are left to raise one another after their parents' death and to build homes uh, both within and outside of each other. Also nominated is The Haunting of Haj Hutak and Other Stories by Jamil Jean Kuchai. His book explores characters of the Afghan diaspora living in the United States and in modern-day Afghanistan in his short story collection. From children and college students to doctors and government surveillance workers, these characters wrestle with the effects of war and forced displacement. And finally, we have All This Could Be Different by Sarah Sankum Matthews. Uh, Set in Milwaukee at the height of the Great Recession, All This Could Be Different is the story of Sneha, a young queer immigrant who creates a community for herself while grappling with the pressures of financially supporting her family in India, the threat of layoffs and homelessness, and the oppressive demands of capitalism. All right. Um, in poetry, um, we have As She Appears by Shelley Wong. Uh, Wong's debut poetry collection centers queer women of color in their being and becoming, spanning pride dances, late night meals in Chinatown, and a summer on Fire Island. As She Appears explores femininity, sexuality, and identity, and remains open to joy, lust, and the self-love despite or in contradiction to the brokenness of the world. Um, also nominated is The Rupture Tense by Jenny She. Um, Xie's collection begins with poems inspired by the photography of Li Zhenxin, whose negatives, hidden under his floorboards to avoid government seizure, provides one of the few surviving visual archives of the Chinese Cultural Revolution and concludes with an aching eulogy for the poet's grandmother, who took her own life shortly after the end of the revolution. For young people's literature, we have A Thousand Steps Into Night by Tracy Chi. Inspired by Japanese folktales, the novel follows Miyuko, an innkeeper's daughter from the realm of Awara, 
as she embarks on a journey to break free from a curse. Miyuko's quest compels her to interrogate the expectations for women in a patriarchal society and the horrors carried out by gods, monsters, and humans alike. Also nominated was Macy Chen's Last Chance by Lisa Yi. In Macy Chen's Last Chance, Maisie spends the summer in Last Chance, Minnesota, as she and her mother care for her ailing grandfather. As 11-year-old Maisie spends more time at her family's restaurant, the Golden Palace, she comes face-to-face with an anti-Asian hate crimes and discovers her family secrets that strengthened her own relationship with her culture. And also nominated is All My Rage by Sabah Tahir. Spanning decades and crossing oceans, Sabah Tahir's All My Rage follows the story of a working-class Pakistani-American family from their origins in Lahore to their present-day life in Juniper, California. Alternating between the son's perspective and that of his best friend, the novel compassionately follows the two teenagers as they grapple with questions of identity, home, family, and forgiveness. And finally, for translated work, we have Seasons of Purgatory by Sharyar Mandanipur, translated from Persian by Sarah Khalil. The short story collection addresses the cruelties of war through the perspectives of those most affected by the never-ending violence. A soldier reevaluating his role as a nuclear power plant guard. A friendship that is inextricably linked to the horrors of war and the slow disintegration of an Iraqi corpse wounded in battle. Also nominated, Scattered All Over the Earth by Yoko Tawada, translated from Japanese by Margaret Mitsutani. In Scattered All Over the Earth, Hiruko is a climate refugee from Japan, a country that along with her mother tongue no longer exists, who teaches her invented language to young immigrants in Denmark. And finally, Ibn Arabi's Small Death by Mohammed Hassan Awan, translated from Arabic by William M. Hutchins. Ibn Arabi's Small Death um, is a first-person fictionalized account of the life of Sufi master, poet, and philosopher Ibn Arabi. Um, Readers follow Ibn Arabi as he travels through 11th and 12th century Europe, northern Africa, and the Middle East on a journey of self-discovery that profoundly influences his future works. So those are the long-listed nominees for National Book Award 2022. The uh, the finalists will, again, be announced on October 4th. Uh, some of these books I've heard great things about, um, like Tracy Cheese, A Thousand Steps in Tonight. That has been on my list for a very long time because uh, I just love books that are inspired by Asian folktales, especially like Japanese folktales. Kind of reminds me of Inuyasha. Yeah. <laughs> Exposing myself as a weeb here. Um, and I, I'm also excited to read uh, Scattered All Over the Earth by Yoko Tawada because Yoko Tawada is the author of um, Memoirs of a Polar Bear. She writes a lot of weird books. And I'm all down to read more like surreal uh, novellas. And this one sounds really interesting because it's because um, her book's about like climate crisis and uh language and it's it sounds really interesting so i i might be reading it sometime this year either through this book club or just for myself because i just like to read weird weird things i thought rupture tense was uh pretty pretty interesting rupture tense by jenny shi the um poetry collection that was inspired by the photography of li zhensheng and um Pretty much like poetry that was inspired by the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm really interested in reading that collection as well, even though I'm not a big poetry person. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations to all of the nominees. And hopefully they all make it to the finals list and we get to celebrate some wins later on um, in, 
in a future Books and Boba news episode. Um, but on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Uh, we were, as always, thanks for compiling all the book and publishing news. Um, before we go, um, can you remind our listeners what we're reading for the month of September? We're reading the thriller You're Invited by Amanda Jayatissa. Um, it has been pitched to us as Crazy Rich Asians meets Gone Girl with a mostly all-female cast. Um, it is pretty much spooky season, so I thought this was this would be a good pick for us. Um, it's pretty much about a Sherlockian woman who is now living in L.A. She learns that her former best friend is marrying her ex-boyfriend. Oof. And she will do anything to stop the wedding, but then something happens at the wedding and she suddenly it becomes accused of attempted murder. So uh, I will just leave things at yeah. that. It sounds like a very interesting read. And um, we've had Amanda on our show before, so we know she is very good with thrillers. Yeah, sounds messy and delicious. And looking forward to talking about that book with you in a few weeks. Man, we're already in, at the end of September. Um, it's almost spooky month. Very excited. Um, Halloween decorations are going out all across my neighborhood. And yeah, looking forward to getting into fall and cooling down finally. <laughs> um, finally in yeah. LA, that is. It's already been cool in other parts of the country. <laughs> um, and on that note, that also do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can support our podcast um, by subscribing, leaving a rating review, um, giving us feedback on Goodreads, and also purchasing books from our Books and Boba online bookshop, where all purchases will both support our podcast and also your local bookstore. So check it out by going to booksandboba.com and clicking on the bookshop link. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, thanks you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time on Books and Boba. Right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Mira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.